Aldous Huxley was an English writer and philosopher. He wrote nearly 50 books. And here's his quote about history. That men do not learn very much from the lessons of history is the most important of all the lessons of history. Welcome to the History Slices Podcast. A mother-son duo discussing awesome bits of history. We prove on every show that history is not boring. Entertaining, yet stimulating. This is History Slices. And now, here's your hosts, Jacob and Rachel. Let's get this show on the road. Yeah. Tell us what's going on this episode. Right. Well, this episode, we're finishing off immigration. We're going from where we left off, which was the mid-1800s up to the present day. Okay. And uh, of course, this is just like a very brief overview. There's a lot of information on this topic. So what I've got for you and our great listeners at home or wherever they are. Uh, <laughs> in the car or at sir, work, sir. maybe. <laughs> I have a, a timeline, basically, I want to go through of various events of note, you know, significance okay. in regards to immigration. And I also have some notable immigrants that I think are very interesting and or significant. And I wanted to kind of touch upon them briefly, kind of highlight them. I think that sounds great. You know, kind of similar to what we did last time, cool. if you remember that. So we last left off, I believe it was 1850 or so. Okay. So 1857. The Dred Scott decision. Basically what that was. Do you know what that was, first of all? Um, it has to do with blacks being citizens. Or, e, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Track? Okay. <laughs> Basically the Supreme Court, this was a uh, stepping stone to the Civil War. There's a lot of things that led up to it. Mm -hmm. um, but this was one of the one of the things. The Supreme Court ruled that black people aren't citizens, so they couldn't vote or own land or anything like that. Wow. Mm -hmm. What a strange time to be alive. Yeah, I know, right? And also, in earlier in history, in 1820, there was this thing called the Missouri Compromise. I remember something about the Missouri Compromise. Wasn't that where, like, whenever a new state came into the United States, like, a second one also had to come in um, to keep the balance between free states and slave states? Basically, yeah. It was like, because for a while there was an equal number, and then the free states started to outweigh the slave states. Uh -huh. But basically, what the 1820 Missouri Compromise was about is... In a Missouri territory, uh, at the time it was a territory, there slavery was banned. But the Dred Scott decision ruled that that was unconstitutional. The reason I include this is because citizenship is very tied to immigration. Yeah, that's really true. I don't want to really get true. too far into the weeds of like, you know, turning this into a thing about citizenship instead of immigration. Yeah. But, you know, I thought it was interesting, also kind of relevant. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's also one of those things where in your research and where it probably becomes so difficult is knowing where to draw the lines because no story, you know, exists in isolation. It's connected to so many different things. So you kind of have to tease out what you're going to talk about. So. I get it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so going back to the 1860s, Abraham Lincoln becomes president. This is the final stepping stone, the final straw. The states, southern states start seceding and the Civil War begins. So, 1862, Civil War is ongoing right now. Uh, the Homestead Act passes. And what this is, is basically, it it's a specifies who can own land. Okay. 
Also, at this time, the Union Army started to enlist black men as cooks, servants, laborers, and teamsters. But blacks still weren't were they weren't citizens s- yet. No, nor were they soldiers. Frederick Douglass was one of the guys who were like, you should really allow them to enlist or, you know, make this about, you know, ending slavery. Uh, but that took a little while yeah, for that gosh. to really kick in. I could see how this could really get sideways. Yeah, yeah. Huh? You see my problem yeah. with, like, talking about this stuff. Anyways... 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation. This is when Lincoln started listening to Douglas. And he was like, okay, we're doing away with slavery. You know, like it basically what the proclamation did, kind of do it with slavery. It's a long story. But basically he was like, it allowed African-American men to join the Union Army. And a lot of them did because they had personal stakes in it. Mm-hmm. It was also one of those scenes that made the European powers back off. Britain, for example, there was evidence that they might intervene on the side of the Confederacy because of economic reasons. Interesting. Like their supply yeah. of cotton was being disrupted right. by the Union. It's a whole, it's yeah, very complicated. Yeah, yeah. But basically, this kind of made the conflict more of a moral one. And it caused like a lot of people in Europe to be like, oh, well, we don't want to, you know, oppose um, uh, someone fighting against slavery, you mm, know. So it was yeah. kind of a, kind of some politically. 1864, Congress decides to allow contract laborers to come in. I'm not sure there's a shortage of laborers at the time or not. 1865, the Civil War ends. The South goes through its whole, like, um, reconstruction, which is a whole nother topic. A lot of the, like, there is, like, nine different episodes that yeah. could branch off <laughs> this. So, 1868, the 14th Amendment passes, and this allows African Americans to be granted citizenship. Okay. So, they're citizens now. Awesome. Also, a bunch of Japanese laborers show up in Hawaii to work sugar canes. Now, Hawaii is independent at this time. It's not part of America yet, but it will be. (laughs) So, I I wanted to kind of just throw that in there as, like, there's already some Mm non-Hawaiians in Hawaii at Mm -hmm. the time. Um Okay, so 18, this is kind of a funny, <laughs> funny one. 1875, there was a couple states that were passing their own uh, immigration laws, you know, their own kind of takes on it. And uh, the Supreme Court was like, no, <laughs> that's a federal thing. <laughs> like, I think that's probably that was probably why. Yeah. Because can you imagine how difficult that uh, would have geez, been? That would have been a logistical nightmare. Yes. But yeah. it's like, Supreme Court's like, no, you can't, that's, <laughs> that's the government's job. That's not your job. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of funny. But, you know, back then... I, could, I mean, I could see why, you know, they had to. I, I don't know how it was in the immediate aftermath of the Civil War, but before the Civil War, a lot of people were more loyal to their state than the government. Right. I, feel I was like. thinking about that, like states versus federal government and uh, the power between, you know, states' rights and all that kind of stuff. So jumping ahead a little bit, not too far, from 1880 to 1920, so period of time, we got more than 20 million immigrants from Europe, including 4 million Italians and 2 million Jews. Uh, a lot of it was just like trouble in their home countries or whatever. Yeah, a lot of them ended up working in factories and cities and stuff, which makes sense because that's like where a lot of industry was. So 1881 in Russia, good old Russia, Tsar Alexander II is assassinated. This leads to a lot of um, civil unrest and economic instability going on, you know. It's not quite the Russian Revolution that comes later, but it's it's a stepping stone in <laughs> that history, that? Okay. in that country's history, yeah. Speaking of Russia, in 1882, there are May laws 
I don't know why they're called that. Maybe they're made of May. I don't know. That's <laughs> just me throwing out a guess. Uh, they greatly restricted the ability of Jewish citizens to live and work in Russia just because mm. of prejudice, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now, and of course, the country is also very unstable at this point. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are really angry. A lot of people, there's violence going on. So more than 3 million Russians come to America. Wow. Mm-hmm. Also, around this time, a lot of uh, Chinese workers have started to come over on, like, the West Coast. You know, they work in, like, garment factories, gold mines. They build some railroads, agriculture stuff. You know, like, kind yeah. of just general workforce yeah. stuff. Do you, know, do you happen to know what the push factor out of China was, or were they pulled to the u.s because of jobs i honestly am not entirely sure yeah unfortunately and i guess this was one of those things that's like well yeah that was gonna happen uh there's a lot of uh, anti-chinese sentiment uh because there's like a concern by a lot of working class americans that they lose money and jobs and employment because of these uh, Chinese immigrants. Now, keep in mind, they only made up like 0.002% of the population. You know, like there was, in comparison, there wasn't a lot, but... I wonder, is that the population of the U.S. or the population of the Western U.S. at that time? Because if they were mostly on the West Coast... Of the U.S. Okay. Yeah. So they may not have made up much of the entire population, but they... Their numbers might have been a greater percentage if you just took the population on the West Coast. Sure, if you just look at California or whatever. So maybe, you know, that... I can understand why, not to excuse anything, no, or, no, but just to help try to put it in perspective. From their perspective, there was a lot of Chinese people around. Right, suddenly. and if they were the ones that were raising the alarm, like that would make more sense than just picking on a few. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I know. Two thousands. But, it, but it's one of those things that when you look at the bigger picture, really wasn't that right when you back up and see. Yeah. But from their perspective, it was like ah. Yeah. Also, it's just a lot of racism as well Mm -hmm. which is unfortunate but it's like yeah that's a thing so 1891 this is interesting there's an immigration act that we have several immigration acts it's like immigration act of this year of this year you know so i'm just like whatever 1891 there's an immigration act that was passed and it basically kept certain people from in the country including polygamists which is an interesting specification but okay six less diseased people as i guess is they don't want sicknesses to come in which uh-huh. makes sense yeah this kind of sucks but it makes sense yeah. and uh people convicted of certain crimes i couldn't figure out what specifically I'm certain ass- crimes yeah i'm were, assuming yeah. i'm assuming it was like serious like violent yeah murder yeah. or something like yeah. that also this year the federal office of immigration is created oh, so like a specific okay. entity so, focused on and that. and this was in the period of time when all those people from europe and russia oh, were they're coming still over so they're in, yeah. dealing with uh, the government's trying to figure out how to deal with yeah that's uh, probably why that. this was a thing that makes sense because, the timing yeah there sense. was a boom in immigration people right. coming into the country and the government's got to figure out what to do with it so what do you do you create a committee mm-hmm. <laughs> you you yeah. regulate it yeah yeah it can be a great committee. <laughs> so 1892 this is a very famous one ellis island in new york mm-hmm. is opened the first immigrant that comes through there we actually have documentation on this her name was uh, annie moore she was a teenager from ireland hmm. between eight i'm sorry there's like Oh, is that like American Girl or whatever stuff about her? Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> there was uh, between um, 1892 and 1954, more than 12 million people would come through Ellis Island wow, into in a America. period of 60 years or yeah. so. Which is a while, people. but at the same time, yeah. 12 million. 12 million is a lot. That's that's a number. <laughs> yeah. 
1898, the Spanish American War. It didn't. It only lasted a few months, which is why we don't really talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty obscure. But what it did, and it ended some territorial changes, which is why I kind of want to talk about it. Uh, first of all, Cuba got their independence from Spain, which is interesting. Yeah. Also, we got Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Philippines. Okay. Uh, of course, they, those had been owned by Spain. Yes, and um, of course, for the Philippines later got their own independence. This is why they're a country now and not a territory. But um, Puerto Rico and Guam are still American territories. Mm-hmm. So I thought, and I would consider them American, even if they're not states. So in that sense, borders change, not so much people, but those guys became American. So I kind of okay, consider so that kind a, of Okay, so this is, again, a little bit of a crossover between it, immigration and citizenship. Yeah, it, and how closely those two things are related. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Also, I just thought it was an interesting yeah. thing. So, 1907. Okay. Finally made it into to the, the 20th century. Yes. Stuff we know. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff that feels more like, you know, oh, yeah, in reachable history. Yeah, yeah. So, Japan and America signed a gentleman's agreement. What this was is... Uh, this seems like an oxymoron. A gentleman's agreement seems like it happens with a handshake, not a signature. But yeah. anyway, sorry, I really pulled no, you off track I think there. it might be like a, I don't know if it's a legal term or what. Or Interesting. A Could be, term. yeah. Basically, Californians are getting ticked off at all these Japanese coming in and taking their jobs. just like the Chinese thing mm-hmm. all over again. So Japan agreed to limit Japanese immigration into the U.S. They'd allow it, but they would put some limits on it. And President Theodore Roosevelt would, in return, urge San Francisco to stop segregating Japanese and Caucasian students in schools and oh, stuff. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, because that was a theme. Yeah. And he's like, okay, well. That really makes you wonder what San Francisco looked like back in that day. I know. Because I know, of course, there's Chinatown in San Francisco. And a lot um, of And they're talking about Japan now, though. So what did it look like between Caucasian imagine, and Japanese, like the uh, yeah. Asian population? I imagine it was like a New York or a lot of cities that had a lot of but with segregation, I didn't realize that there was that there was uh, that kind of segregation. I imagine it was one of, like any multicultural city at the time where you had different areas that were different. Like, oh yeah, and there's the Asian neighborhood, and there's sure, the yeah, because they tend to band together out of safety and, and, and common culture. And, yeah, and just segregation was a thing, you know. Yeah, like it well, some of that could have like been voluntary. I, I don't mean segregation in schools. I mean I as far as neighborhoods and no, things I, like I that know what you were mean. created probably voluntarily. No. Oh, you're probably right. But needless to say, I thought this was interesting because I didn't know about this. Yeah. But Roosevelt, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, we've had a couple. <laughs> uh, Theodore Roosevelt was, um, you know, hey, we'll try to treat your your people better, basically, <laughs> and you try to st- stop put like a like a like a cork on the amount of people coming in. It was oh. just an interesting. Another side note: uh, in 1913, California makes a law that non-citizens can't own land, which I guess makes sense. I think it kind of does make sense. I yeah. don't. I I don't know. I'd have to sort of sit on I'm, that and think for a minute because. Yeah. Well, I have sat on it. Not that I'm right, of course. <laughs> uh, but your opinion is. Let me tell you why you're wrong. No. <laughs> uh, basically, my thought was that if you're coming to visit or whatever, that's fine. You're not going to own land. You're just yeah, going to stay out of anything. place. You're yeah. just- but if you're staying here long term then maybe get some citizenship. Yeah, you should know. be, because you have more of a stake in it. And yeah. as a landowner, you have say, and you have pull, and you have, yeah, there's, I kind of feel like if you're going to buy land, you should be a citizen. And I, one of the things I was thinking about that flipped through my head really quick when I sure. said I need to sit on it is I was thinking about, well, what if I wanted to go buy land in another country? Could I, as an American, purchase land in Spain, for example? There are castles in Scotland that are on sale. <laughs> yeah. So... 
1917. Do you know what significant event happened worldwide in 1917? Sounds a lot like World War I yes, time. Yes, World War I started. This There's a lot of stuff that goes into World War I. You can write like a 20 book volume, volume series, series <laughs> whatever on this yeah. with thick doorstop book. Anyways, in terms of immigration in America, what this it caused a lot of anti-German sentiment to go around. I might have mentioned this in a previous episode. A lot of uh, Germanic named places, you know, schools, towns, streets, whatever, and um, foods, and even some families that had German sounding names end up changing them. Mm. For example, Berlin, Michigan became Marne, Michigan. Just as like an example. <sighs> so that's interesting because beforehand there was a lot of um, more Germanic names, I because guess. Because there were so many Germans. There were so many Germans. Mm-hmm. Like there were, oh geez, again, I don't remember the statistics, but they're like pretty high up in terms of people coming over. Right. So it would make sense that they there would be a lot of names and it would reflect that. Mm-hmm. So in 1929, Congress makes annual immigration quotas a permanent thing. 1929, I'm thinking, uh, just trying to place that. So that was just right before the Great Depression started, sort of, Mm -hmm. in full force. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit. I want to take, like, a little diversion here. Because I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that I had picked out several specific immigrants to talk Mm -hmm. about. And I want to talk about one. Okay. Because this is around a time seeking So we're going to talk about one person, and then we're going to go back to the timeline? Yes. Okay, cool. Yes. Anne Rand. <laughs> Anne Rand. Do you the know author. who Anne Rand yes, is? I've yes, I've read a couple of her books. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So she was originally from Russia. I didn't know that. You didn't? Uh-uh. Oh, interesting. Or if I did, I've forgotten. <laughs> she was born February 2nd, 1905 in St. Petersburg, which at the time was the capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, her dad was a pretty successful pharmacist. You know, they were, they weren't Ritz, but they were well off middle class. Mm-hmm. You know, they had like servants and stuff. Like, wow. Yeah. You know, they were well off. When she was young, the Russian Revolution happened. This is during World War One, basically. Okay. Uh, well, there's overlap with World War One. Basically, the reason why Russia left the war effort with Germany is because Lenin took power and was like, that was part of the agreement hmm. where it's like, hey, we'll end the war, this costly war in Europe and focus on our own affairs, kind of. Hmm. That was one of the, the things he was about. She was pretty young at the time. Like I said, she was like a... I want to say like a teenager, preteen, something like okay. that. She was very outspoken. She had a lot of opinions, and she <laughs> wasn't afraid to voice those opinions. She was kind of, remember we talked about Andrew Jackson? Yes. She was kind of like that. Not so much in her uh, views, but in terms of just her demeanor. Okay. <laughs> she, when she was like a teenager, she declared herself an atheist because uh, she thought religion was a stupid idea. <laughs> she <laughs> very much hated the uh, communists. She despised the revolutionaries, all that. So she has some very clear-cut opinions about yeah, things yeah. that she wasn't afraid to share. Yeah, but she didn't like the czar either. It wasn't like she was like a loyalist or anything. But here's the thing. In, in an increasingly authoritarian dictatorship, because that's what Russia was becoming at mm-hmm. that time, being outspoken about disliking the ruling power is not good. So what she did was, uh, she basically, with help from her parents, they stayed in Russia, but with help from her parents, she fled to America. Wow. Because she heard that America was more in line with her thoughts, kind of wow. land of the free and all that stuff. Imagine the conversations around the dinner table at, oh, the, geez, I can't at their house. Yeah. Wow. So she was in her early 20s at the time she came here. She changed her name to Anne Rand. It was originally more Russian. I'm going to call her Anne Rand. <laughs> but basically, 
basically the um she claimed that she picked the name after the Rand typewriter, but that didn't exist at the time, so that's <laughs> probably not true. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, so she arrived in California. She became an American citizen in 1931. At that time, though, she was still like just an immigrant, a no name, no one really cared. She was in, like I said, California, specifically Hollywood of all oh. places. Uh, and there, because he wanted to be a writer, and she wrote The Fountainhead, mm-hmm. which was her first breakthrough hit. She'd written all her stuff, like a play and some um, some other stuff, but they weren't successful. No one cared as much. The Fountainhead, though, was a bestseller. Like, people bought it up. It was great. It also was like, I'm trying to remember like the, the details of the plot, but basically, yeah, I, I can't remember. it's That's about an architect. It's uh, been right. Uh, yeah, and, and he uh, basically is like, try to stay true to his vision, right. but the, you know, the, the, the big fat cat man's trying to put him down or whatever, you know, stuff like that. People really liked it. It About idealism and things yeah, like that. Yeah, it, it was about basically staying true to your ideals. Mm-hmm. There's made to a movie, which didn't do too well. <laughs> but C wrote the screenplay for the movie. Interesting. Yeah, it is. She could have stopped there. <laughs> and she would have been like a known author. Interesting. And now it would have been the end of it. But nope, she had to. I'm not saying this as a bad thing. I'm saying this as like an interesting thing. Uh, she basically wrote Atlas Shrugged, mm-hmm. which was her magnum opus. And there she went full on her ideology as a mouthpiece very pro-individualism, very pro-capitalism. She called it objectivism. Then they still have a following today, uh, though lots of detract, a lot of people love her, hate her, you know? Yeah, yeah. She seems like one of those figures that's yeah, so polarizing. Uh, conservatives and libertarians especially like her, which is funny because I don't think she would really, some of her views are not Republican of the of today views, you mm-hmm. know, like she was pro-choice and she was atheist and stuff like that. And she actually, one of her later on in life, I'm jumping ahead, but later on in life, she was very critical of Reagan mm. uh, because he was very religious. And despite Reagan having like a lot of like cabinet members that were a fan of her work of Alice Shrugged, basically I thought, what an interesting person. I actually, though I don't agree with everything she says, I actually really admire her because she kind of... Did the American dream. She came here as no one, got success, left her mark. We're still talking about her. Yeah. Uh, she's been dead for decades. Yeah. That is admirable. <laughs> yeah. Though I, and and some of the things I'm like, I get where you're coming from. And other things I'm like, hold on. And <laughs> that's a bit. And that's okay. Uh, because yeah. that's. I'm like that with like every philosopher yeah. though, where it's like, they'll <laughs> say something. I'm like, that sounds really smart. And then they'll say something else. And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> Wait, back up. <laughs> Anyways, I also want briefly, not as in so much detail, but I want to briefly also give a shout out to someone else that came over around this time. He's English. His name is Aldous Huxley. Oh, Aldous Huxley. Yes. Who is mentioned or quoted, I should say, in our intro. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's the only reason I brought him up because I'm like, hey. <laughs> Interesting guy. That guy. Yeah. yeah. So he was um, born July 26, 1894 in Surrey, which is a, a place in England. He's a writer of nearly 50 books and a philosopher. He also is very prolific. By the time he um, passed away, he was regarded as one of the more prominent like intellectuals mm. of his uh, of his peers. Mm-hmm. Uh, arguably, his most famous book is Brave New World, oh. which a lot of you have heard of. Um, I've never read it. I, I know the premise, but I haven't yeah. read it either. But that's his. <laughs> he wrote a bunch of other stuff, too. Yeah. But they're not. I was going through a list and I'm like, never heard of it. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Brave that's New really World. something I should really, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I should really read that book one of these days. Mm-hmm. 
uh, he moved here in 1937. He lived in Los Angeles until his death in 1963. Wow. What's an interesting thing about him is he technically wasn't an American citizen, but it wasn't for lack of trying. Basically, he ran into some trouble with the application process because, and I don't know how it is today, so some of this might be dated yeah. uh, compared to how we do it now. But at the time, he said he would not bear arms for America. Oh. And there is an out for that. You could be like, for religious reasons. Yeah. And they're like, okay, sure. But he's like, it's not religious reasons. So I'm like, okay, well. Yeah, I, that that is actually still on. Is it? Yeah, I, I just know that because I used to teach citizenship ah, classes. interesting. So yeah. I had a little bit of... Um, Insider experience, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, despite all that, I think we could count him as American. He lived here a while, yeah. you know. Anyways, he's an interesting guy. It seems funny. He, he it wasn't like any like super dramatic and ran escaping, you know, uh-huh. Soviets like stories. But I thought it was an interesting little like sound out. Back to timeline. The timeline. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That was like kind of the interim period between the world wars. Kind of World War Two starts. We were not involved at first, especially because a lot of people here were like, we don't want to get involved in another world war. It really hadn't been that it long was since only the first one. 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like, we're done. We're done. We don't, we're, we were just recovered from like a Great Depression. We're done. We don't want to get involved. Roosevelt, Franklin, not Theodore. <laughs> like I said, we had a couple. President FDR, <laughs> Franklin Roosevelt, he was very favorable towards the Allies, but couldn't jump right in because of, um, you know, the public. Some of them were for it, some of them weren't, and it was a bit divisive. Right. So what he did was he just sipped a bunch of supplies and stuff to, like, the UK. It was one of those scenes that we claimed to be neutral, but we clearly favored one side over the other. Right. You know? Anyways, so uh, 1941, Pearl Harbor happens. The attack on Pearl Harbor. And that's kind of serves as the catalyst for us to get involved. We declare war on Japan and Hitler declares war on us, though he didn't technically have to because there were Japan and Germany were allies. But it was like we weren't fighting him <laughs> at that point. You know, it was just one of those kind of funny things. The downside, well, besides war and loss of life yeah, and all that. Yeah. But in terms of like American citizens being, um, I guess, persecuted, more than a thousand Japanese Americans were incarcerated uh, oh. during the war um, because there was concerns that there was, they... there was racism involved, I'm mm-hmm. sure. But there's concerns that um, they would have conflicting loyalty. Mm-hmm. Though. So, interesting enough, there's a lot of German Americans and Italian Americans, mm-hmm. and they didn't face nearly as much because they are white. Basically, like they, you can, you, it's easier to tell when someone the looks cultures Asian. Cultures are closer the same. Than, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's there's yeah. a double standard yeah. there. We did eventually apologize. And to be completely fair, conditions weren't terrible. Like they, they sucked, and it should not have happened. And I'm not saying it was fine because it wasn't. But like I sometimes see people comparing it to like what Germany was doing with the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, no, we weren't killing people. Mm-hmm. You know, this wasn't a... Starving them. Yeah, and, this wasn't yeah. A, a program, you know. Yeah. <laughs> or how do you say that? Pogrom. Sir. This wasn't a genocide. This yeah. was just like wrongfully accusing American citizens of being un-American mm-hmm. and acting mm-hmm. on that to a ridiculous degree. So that happened. Uh, 1943, during the war, the Magnuson Act passes, which basically makes uh, Chinese immigrants eligible for citizenship. In 1945, the war is over, just ended, and the War Bride Act and the GI Fiance Act 
happens. Basically, what it is is for foreign-born wives, fiancés, husbands, and children of U.S. armed forces, basically, mm-hmm. um, they are allowed to come in. Because what happened was during a war, uh, some people fell in love with the locals right. or whatever, you know. Stationed abroad. And, yeah, yeah, you know, it happens. Yeah. So they're like, uh, that's fine. You can, you know, bring the whole family. It's all good. <laughs> 1948, there's a lot of people fleeing persecution abroad, and the U.S. allowed 205,000 refugees to enter within two years. Wow. In 1952, the Immigration and Nationality Act allowed individuals of all races to be eligible for nationalization. Naturalization? Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so basically, this is all a bunch of like legalese and stuff, but basically what it is is in 1952... They took out any of the um, ethnic requirements, I guess. Okay. Uh, being like, you know, like you can come in and apply for citizenship yeah. and all that stuff. And uh, it, it, you're not barred from entering because of ethnic background. Okay. Around this time, Yul Brynner came to America. He was another Russian. In the 50s? He actually came over in um, 1940, but okay. I'm talking about him now because okay. I don't want to. Yeah, that's right. I just thought that together. the 50s seemed kind of late for him, but. Yeah, I was actually from like Eastern Russia, which there isn't as many people in there as opposed to um, Western Russia. It's kind of like how kinda in Canada, yeah. a lot of population is more Southern. Mm-hmm. This is what it is. His original name, because obviously Yul Brynner is not his birth name, was uh, Yuliv Borisovic. Brenner, I see how he changes it. Uh, <laughs> it's a sure. little more marketable. Yeah. <laughs> he was born July 11th, 1920 in the city of Vladivostok. He was 20 years old when he came to America with his mother. And he only spoke like a little English. Like he wasn't good in English yet. <laughs> Not in my apparently. Uh, <laughs> but eventually, of course, as everyone knows him, he became a actor uh-huh. and like a big movie star. Yeah. And he was in the Ten Commandments, which we saw like years ago, but we saw that movie. Uh-huh. Um, he played the pharaoh in that uh he was in Westworld, where he played the the movie not the so this is before the so was a thing anyways uh he played the robot uh in Westworld. i'm not familiar with that oh okay it's basically a sci-fi cowboy movie oh gosh in the 80s they yeah. made like a a series more recently but he's was dead by then anyways it's a whole thing don't worry about it uh and he was in the keenan eye which is that's what the one he, i think he's probably most well known yes for. absolutely he was so famous for playing that role of keen moncock the keen and Keen and I that he played it um four thousand six hundred and twenty five times on stage. Oh my which goodness. is crazy. Yeah, holy cow. <laughs> um, I think it started to get a little bit boring after a while. I <laughs> after guess about he, the three thousand. I mark. guess he liked the role. Yeah. I don't know. He passed away in nineteen eighty five due to lung cancer. Mm. He was sixty five. Oh. He actually released a very when he found out he had lung cancer and that he didn't have long to live, because I guess it was a diagnosis until later. He had a um he made a PSA against smoking it was a very uh, impact very powerful thing but i think he's pretty cool as like an actor and as like a person also there's two more i want to talk about both from germany uh one of them was more well one of them was more active or more i guess impactful in world war ii and the other was more of a cold war figure can you guess who they are no. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> you, you, you know them. You know them. Okay. Albert Einstein. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. 
I feel like a lot of people know who he is. He's yeah. kind of, his name has kind of become synonymous with genius yeah. now. You know, oh, yeah. he's just an Einstein. Uh, he was a theoretical physicist, of course, from Germany. Kind of a funny story how he came here. He was visiting America when the Nazis came to power. And he was like, ah, I think I'll just stay here. Oh, my goodness. Because he has a, uh, he's Jewish. Mm. So he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not, not going not, back. I'm not going back. Yeah. And he ended up working on the Manhattan Project, which led to the first atomic bomb, mm-hmm. along with a lot of other big names like Oppenheimer and a lot, a lot of... Huge impact. Yeah. Super significant to history, I think. It's up there with the events of the internet in terms of how much it impacted the world. Mm-hmm. He, though he was pretty peaceful, or he, he wasn't like... He didn't like making weapons or anything like that, you know? Yeah. He was more into just the, the math and the science mm-hmm. and stuff he like that. He was intellectual. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about the last one in a bit, but first I want to just talk a little bit, go into the Cold War here. So, 1953, basically Congress amends the... the so there's a previous refugee policy, and Congress amends, amended it to allow for like 200,000 more refugees to come in. This is basically them just changing some of the laws about around immigration to allow in some more people. Mm-hmm. From 1956 to 1957, the United States admitted roughly 38,000 immigrants from Hungary. Because uh, what happened was there was a failed um, uprising against the Soviets. And mm-hmm. so a lot of Hungarians were like, let's get out of here. Wow, 38,000 mm-hmm. in a year. And they were among like the first uh, Cold War refugees. The United States... Throughout the Cold War, which obviously lasted a long time, but the United States would admit over 3 million people during the Cold War. Wow, 3 million people. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1959, Fidel Castro's Cuban Revolution prompts a max exodus. People are leaving Cuba, coming here. Uh, more than 200,000 people within like wow. three years. So funny enough, it's kind of similar to when we got our independence and a lot of loyalists are like, I'm going to Canada. It's kind of like that, only yeah. it's a little, it's less ideological and more like, uh, I don't think this dictates likes me, so I'm going to wow, leave. Wow, 200,000 people. I wonder what the population of Cuba was. Oh, I didn't being think an to island. look it yeah, up. Yeah, just that seems like a very large number of people. It's, a, it's As far as islands go, it's a pretty large oh, island. Oh, it is. Yeah, and it's yeah. a big place. I'm sure it's not like, it just seems like a significant percentage. I'm sure it is, yeah. This continued on throughout like the early 60s, 1960 to 1962. Roughly 14,000 unaccompanied children flee Castro's Cuba and come to U.S. It was a part of a secret anti-communism program that was called Operation Peter Pan. I never heard about that before, but Mm -hmm. did you say 14,000? Yeah, roughly, roughly. It was basically just, I think it might have been like a humanitarian effort, something like that. And in 1961, the Cuban refugee program handled like a bunch of immigrants coming to Miami because of course it's close to Cuba. Within the next two decades, 300,000 immigrants from Cuba, you know, kind of spreading across America, you know. So uh, the year that you said for what period of time? Uh, This is like early 60s. Like, um, so there's 1961. Okay. So. Right. And, it, but until, didn't you say like for the next decade or? Yeah. The next two decades. Next there's two a, decades. a bunch of Cubans coming over. Yeah. In 1965-ish, six-ish, my dad, your grandpa was, uh, stationed at the Coast Guard base in Miami during that time. And he has some personal stories about the Cubans who are trying to escape and being picked up out of the water and things like that. Just some really, really interesting stories. We should ask him about it sometime. (laughs) We should, (laughs) yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know that. So that's around this time. I think we should talk about our last guy because this is around when he was when he was making waves. Have you ever heard of Werner von Braun? How do you spell his first name? W-E-R-N-H-E-R. 
Warner. Von Braun. I think that's how you say his last name. Um, Maybe Braun. I'm not sure that is he a German guy. Again? He's German. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. I, I recognize him. That name. He's German. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he also came over after. Well, because of World War II, basically, is how he got on people's radar. He was a. Um, he came over as part of Project Paperclip, which what Project Paperclip was is America, after World War II ended, they got a bunch of Nazi scientists and thinkers and physicists and stuff. Got a lot of notes that were done uh, in Nazi Germany and basically brought it over to America in order to get one up on the Russians because wow. the Cold War was going on. Wow. This is all secretive stuff at the time and since been declassified it's like a thing wow. that happened <laughs> it's not conspiracy theory or anything like that it's like no it happened Werner von Braun was one of those scientists he ended up really helping our space program a tremendous amount in fact Sam Phillips who is the Apollo program director he is quoted as saying that without him we would not have reached the moon wow uh, like because he was very much in Germany when he was with the Nazis he helped develop rockets and stuff like that so he kind of just as a progression of that. But for us, yeah, wow. uh, there's some German locations named after him. There's even a moon crater named after him. Uh, and, but in recent years, some people are a bit more critical of him because he was a former Nazi. Yeah. Uh, though we don't know if he like committing crimes against humanity or anything like that, you know, because not every Nazi was down for that. But, you know, it's still one of those things as like, hmm, I don't know. That's just a little a little psyche. But, you know, ethically speaking, but... Um, but he it, certainly left his mark. He left his mark, yeah. And he passed away in 1977, which was the same year stars come out, which amuses me. Because <laughs> he's all spacey and whatever. Yeah. But whatever. <laughs> I just thought, you know, that's interesting. And I think he isn't as known as Einstein. But the moon landing is such like... Um, but in human history, it does a pretty moment. Yeah, such an achievement. Yeah, so yeah. I thought... I should he probably, had a huge part of Yeah, I should that. probably just mention him yeah. as well. I bet it was hard to decide which immigrants you should talk about. Oh because, my goodness. Yeah, so, there's, there's so, many so many that had some impact oh, geez. on and, so many different levels. And what, what kind of confuses some things is... This is actually something that... So in college, I had a... Um, one of my professors was from Slovenia. He was a very well-traveled, very smart smart guy. I was envious of him because he was only a few years younger than me and accomplished so much stuff. And I'm <laughs> like, I don't know. But he was talking to me just in between classes because we chat. And he was saying how like, it's weird how Americans will like, they'll consider themselves like Austrian American or a uh, Turkish American generations after they came to America. And he thought that was odd. He thought that was odd because apparently in Europe, it, it isn't like that. People don't call themselves, I'm a Spanish Polish yeah, person. A, a, after like a couple generations of being in Poland yeah. is a thing that was yeah. like confusing him. So in other words, he expected people to just be American. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I didn't put much thought into it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess this is a weird American thing. I wouldn't know. Uh, like, I don't because I'm not, I haven't been to Europe. I don't know, like, a lot of European, like, cultural stuff. But when researching for this, I was going through a list of immigrants, and a lot of them were, like, not first generation immigrant like a lot of them were like oh my grandpa or my dad came to america yeah. but i was from i'm from pennsylvania <laughs> or whatever yeah. you know i'm like okay well that's not I, mean, I guess but that's not really what i was looking for you were looking more for off the boat yeah yeah, yeah. first immigrant yeah first generation that's what i'm thinking for. first generation mm. immigrants into the united states yes. yeah so there's not but we do I, really associate a lot. At yeah. least I know for me, and I'm how many? I'm one, two, three generations on one side, you know, and mm. 
many, many, many more on the other side, but we do associate. I don't know what a better word is for yeah. that. And like a roots. lot of sources do that too. This is kind of a tangent. I'm sorry, but a lot of sources do that too. Like on um, Wikipedia, you go on a German American page and here's a list of famous German Americans. And a lot of them are not first like generation. Second, third generation. It's like they have like Eisenhower and Trump and stuff on there. And I'm like, <laughs> well, they were born in America, you know, like they're American, whatever. It's all good. Yeah. It's uh, splitting hairs. Yeah. But I was just, it was an interesting little snag I found. Anyways. So into the 1980s, right? Okay. 1980, the Refugee Act redefines criteria uh, and kind of like procedures for how to admit people coming in, refugees specifically, hence it being called the Refugee yeah. Act. So there's a event called the Maril Boatlift. Marel, M-A-R-I-E-L. It's Mariel? Cuban. Some roughly 125,000 Cuban refugees came into America on overcrowded boats to mm-hmm. Florida mm-hmm. and because they were seeking political mm-hmm. asylum and all that. There's like, I think, 90 miles, 60 miles, 90 miles, something like that between uh, the southern end of Florida and Cuba. I think it's like 90 miles, yeah. Cuba. In 1986, Reagan signs the Simpsons-Mazuli Act. What that did was it granted amnesty for more than 3 million immigrants that are living illegally in the U.S. Yeah, that was huge. Yeah, he basically, because there are a lot of people who were in America that weren't documented or whatever, mm-hmm. hadn't used the official channels to get in. And he basically was like, it's okay, it's, like, <laughs> it's yeah. all right, you know. So 1988. Remember back in World War II when we incarcerated all those Japanese people yeah. from Japanese? Uh, yeah, I remember the, that. <laughs> yeah, the Civil Liberties Act passes, and that basically it provides compensation of 20000 to uh and a presidential apology to all Japanese-American survivors, as in like people still around, yeah. of the uh, World War II internment camps. Mm. I didn't mean survivors, as in they survived the camps. I mean, you know, like yeah, survivors. Yeah, people were still living They were still time. living, yeah. Interesting. This was a couple decades later. Yeah. Jumping through the 90s, because I guess not too much happened in the 90s. There was some, I think, legal stuff, but nothing groundbreaking. I cut out a lot of stuff. Like, this is right, a long time. Which is necessary, line, yeah, because it's, it's a like, long... It's yeah. had, like, pages more, and I'm like, this is too much. This is ridiculous. So, 2001, my lifetime. <laughs> I'm alive <laughs> at this point. There's a memorial honoring um, Japanese-American veterans. It opens on uh, in Washington, D.C., on Capitol Grounds. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's the the dream act first kind of becomes like a thing nowadays it's a lot of people talk about it but basically what it was there's a couple senators proposed it at this point uh dick durpin and oren hats who are of different parties which is interesting because you don't get too much of that nowadays not be political but it's true you don't um and they basically it was a way for a pathway to have a legal status for undocumented immigrants that are brought to us as children basically Mm -hmm. by their parents Mm -hmm. or whatever in 2012 obama who's president (laughs) of course uh he kind of adds on some more stuff to like this dreamer idea where uh he signed the deferred action for childhood arrivals basically Basically, it, it um, had a temporary kind of sealed of some of these uh, dreamers, as they're called, from being deported. But it didn't really provide any way to get to citizenship. Obviously, there's still stuff going on. You hear about in the news all the time. There's all this like, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things that nowadays is, I think it always has been a bit of a hot button issue mm-hmm. among certain people. Mm-hmm. It's very really dynamic and changing all the yeah. time. I 
we, the government, whatever, has to react to events that are kind of are going on in the world that affect people wanting to come here. And so there's sort of, it's always this sort of back and forth and having to come to the table and figure things out, it seems like. It's an interesting topic. I think it's really fascinating. I know you find it very fast. I hope our audience found it really fascinating. Yeah, yeah I think it's really interesting. blundering through history uh, of immigration. And trying to do it like just hitting the highlights and giving mm-hmm. an overview yeah. uh, because it's such a massive story. It is. Is, it is. If you're interested and you want to learn more, I strongly encourage people to look up more information because there's a whole bunch out there and it's just, it's really fascinating. And I, something that I really admire about America, and I don't mean to be all patriotic, eagle screeches in the background. I don't mean to sound, you know, sound jingoistic, but something that I really admire about America is all the different cultures and all the different people and all the different, I don't know what you call it, points of view, I guess. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. If we could hang on to it. <laughs> you know, if we can continue to hopefully adapt and mature in the right way. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, instead that's, of getting, that's life. That's always yeah. been a thing. You always want to do what's best, you know? The problem comes from people having different ideas about what the best is. Yeah. So, yeah. It's tricky. Oh, well. Life is tricky. That's, <laughs> that's politics for you. So I thought that was really interesting. I thought it was really fun. Thank you for joining me. I'm sorry. It's kind of a abrupt cutoff, but we're at the present day. No, yeah, we're, we can't we really are. go for yeah. So, yeah. So, next time? Yeah, next time we're doing something a little different. Not to the same extent that we've been doing things differently. Right. It will be a series. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be swapping roles. Yeah. Whereas normally I'm the one who comes up with or comes up, comes with a story or mm-hmm. a topic to talk about. And you provide excellent commentary and reactions. <laughs> uh, this time you're going to be the one coming up with something to talk about. And That's I'm right. going to be providing hopefully excellent commentary and reactions. It's going to be really interesting to have the shoe on the other foot. I've yes. already, of course, begun my research. It's about a topic I'm already a little bit familiar with, but I'm really interested to share about a place called Ebor City, Ybor which City. is in the Tampa Bay area of Florida. You've talked about this to me before. <laughs> I have, I know. And I'm so I'm excited to share about that. I'm getting a feel for uh, what you go through as far as where to cut things off, what to include, how to make it try to sound interesting and horrible coherent. Horrible amount of stuff to wade through. Yeah. You usually have to go through a whole bunch and narrow mm-hmm. it down to just a little bit. So I'm having a lot of fun doing that. I'm looking forward to sharing it. You know, just looking forward to the experience of doing it kind of opposite. But a couple of things that you said during today's podcast, and we're yeah. going long already, so I don't want to spend too much time, sure. but you talked about the Spanish-American War in yes. 1898, yes, which is going to figure into my story. Oh, nice. And also, you said something about multicultural places. That's going to figure into my story. Oh, excellent. I'm and, excited already. Yeah, and also um, support during the World War II time, sending you know, raising funds to support people during that time. Not exactly for World War II, but it's sort of about that time. Anyway, so a few um, correlating things. And it also has a lot to do with immigrants or immigrant stories. So it's a good um, spinoff kind of, I think, of the immigration series is a a tale about or a history of um, a place that is kind of known for its immigrants. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. (laughs) Until next time. Bye. Confucius once said, study the past if you would define the future. You've been listening to the History Slices podcast with Jacob and Rachel. We hope you've gotten some useful information from the show. We hope we made you think and we hope you were entertained. We know we had fun. 
and we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook at History Slices and on Instagram at History Slices Podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And tell a friend about the show. That'll help us out, too. One more quote before we go from Michael Crichton. If you don't know history, then you don't know anything. You are a leaf that doesn't know it's part of a tree. Till next time, this is History Slices, signing off.